Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Blue Butterfly Effect podcast. Today, Ashley and I will be talking about five ways to take responsibility for your energy field. But before we get started, I want to give you a heads up on a big announcement that's coming soon. Ashley and I are planning an online event in July. We're still working out the details. You'll get more information in our next episode, but we are so excited for any of you who want to join us on that day, meet us. We're going to have really great stuff planned for you all. We're probably going to be doing a few greetings. You can ask us questions. We're just really wanting to meet with you and put actual faces to the people who follow us and like our stuff and, and just to show gratitude to show gratitude. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. How are you feeling about this idea of the one day online event? I'm excited. I feel it will be really interesting to just connect with people on this different level. And I imagine as they listen to our episodes, they'll have questions about how to maybe go deeper or to understand things on a broader perspective or more personal perspective. I think it'll be really fun. So Let's jump into today. Five ways to take responsibility for your energy field. We're not sponges. We want to be very clear. We're not here to sponge up the world or other people's energy. You're like an x-ray. Information's coming through you, but it's passing out. As what I was talking about earlier, the development of tougher skin is actually coming into your heart and understanding that that's, that's the space to be in. That's how we take responsibility for our energy field. The podcast is about grounding spirituality. So I feel that naturally and innately, we are all empathic, sensitive, psychic beings. And I think that as the collective awakens to that truth, people are becoming much more aware of it. They realize, oh, that's what it has meant all along to be sensitive and empathic and psychic. and it's a natural part of me. It doesn't have to be this otherly thing, taboo thing that only a few people have. And so the more that awareness spreads throughout the world, which I think is beautiful, I think it's part of the healing of the collective, the more people are going to want to go into practice of it, whether on their own or through a teacher or a mentor. But the point is, is that The more you become aware of it, the more sensitive you do become. So this is something that I felt very true to my heart that I actually learned through Ashley, ways to protect my energy, to be mindful of not taking on of so much of the energy around me. What's been your experience with that, Ashley? Because like I said, I learned a lot of these coping skills with you just to be much more aware and protective. And this is, I think, where the rational mind really has to step in. And I think this is a beautiful dance between spirit and ego. Sometimes our ego has to come up much more intentionally in order to protect that spiritual part of us. What's your What's your take on that? Well, it's interesting. This topic of empath and empathy just seems to be coming up again and again in all these spaces I'm in. And it's made me ask deeper questions about it. And when I Think about the fact that I do believe, like you said, that we are all empaths, that we all have this capacity to 
have a really sensitive degree of empathy and to feel into energy and feel into other people and situations and get information. And I've been asking why. And I do feel it's misunderstood in our culture as far as it can be something that makes us feel really special that we can do this. It can be a trauma response, the way we go into survival mode so we can read the room, read people, the way to protect ourselves. And then it could also be kind of this dirty word in the sense that people kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, you're an empath too. And I think also it can be misused in the sense that I think we can misunderstand it and say, well, I'm an empath, so I'm overloaded all the time and I can't really help it that I don't have boundaries. So what I'm trying to get clear within myself is understanding if we are all empaths, why are we all empaths? And I've just in the past 48 hours have really come to believe that it allows us to connect to the humanity in another person. It allows us to remember that each person is on their own journey. Each person is in their own process. Even when it feels like someone is not sensitive or not empathic, I believe they're just coping with it in a different way. So I feel that this empathy allows us to touch in and really find compassion and understanding. When I feel like it's much easier to just kind of reject someone or project onto them that they're insensitive or to turn away from something. So I wonder if we were to honor the empathy as a spiritual tool for compassion, for love, for being more inclusive rather than exclusive. Maybe that's why it's here. And I feel that children are coming in even more aware of their empathy. I've talked about my son who is so empathic just right out of the gate and trying to teach him to work with that empathy. If this is happening, if we are empathic, and if more people are coming in with the awareness that they are empathic and children are becoming more sensitive, then I feel like this must be to elevate consciousness and to really connect us human to human in a different way, where it's not just about our egos and who hurt who and our wounding, but maybe it's to step into, as my husband's been talking recently, just that authentic self, that spiritual self that's in alignment that higher self that can watch what's happening, but not get so involved and hurt by everything that's happening, but can just move through the world in a gentler place. It doesn't mean you let people hurt you. It doesn't mean you have boundaries, but maybe your perspective on people and situations could be different if we were working from this way. That is so beautiful. That was so beautifully said. I, I am <laughs> like, I'm watching you and I'm like, yes, girl, go. Go. <laughs> this is new information I'm just coming up with. <laughs> That's even better. You know, what you were saying reminded me of something I just recently came across on Instagram, actually. And it was this young man whose, of course, name is escaping me on the spot, but he was talking about developing tough skin. And so I listened to it out of curiosity. But this is so beautiful because we have an idea of what having tough skin is. We're, we're hard. Nothing gets to us. It doesn't hurt my feelings when it really does. Mm -hmm. If you come at me, I'm going to come at you. Just a quick side note. There's this awful, awful message and meme out there. That's something along the lines of my attitude towards you depends on how you come at me. Yeah. And it's so... But that says it uh, all. <laughs> exactly. It's so harsh. It's like what you get from me is directly correlated to how you come at me. That's where we have been functioning all along. Mm -hmm. And so going back to this young man who shared developing tough skin means that you understand that your path is you and spirit. And that's all that you need to understand. 
And that in that space, you are able to receive people differently. Because if you can come to the understanding that you are on your own path with spirit to fulfill your soul's purpose, then everyone else is on the same path. Mm -hmm. And you can understand that the way that someone comes at you is much more correlated to the level of consciousness than anything that has to do with either one of you. (laughs) Truly. It's not about the ego. It's not about this person is against me is this person is just on a different journey. And look, it took me a long time. I'll be very honest. I'm not coming at this from a space of where I always understood this. Not at all. It took going deeply within myself and understanding this empathic nature, understanding all of these little nooks and crannies about myself to say, oh, okay. Something clicked where I realized Mm -hmm. I've been behaving a certain way towards the world, towards life. And I've had a certain perception, like your husband Mm -hmm. mentioned, of life based on this. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with anyone else. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that must mean that everyone is functioning from the same space in the same way. And it has nothing to do with me. Right. And I am still working this out, working it out this week. This is why it was up for me is going into the space of having expectations, maybe of a situation or of a person. And then when those expectations aren't met, wanting to protect yourself Mm -hmm. and then noticing that that protection, you think, well, I understand why they did that, but I'm going to sit in my higher seat of consciousness and just not Mm -hmm. expect anything of them, which is more ego. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about is really, and it's, gosh, a moment to moment thing of how can I not expect someone to be anything? I'm only in control of what I'm doing and how I show up. And the minute I show up with expectations or needs or anything like that, that sends out a certain energy. And that energy is read by that person and they can either meet it or not. But what we need to understand is that I think it's important is just focusing on what we're putting out, what we're offering, what our intentions are, and we can't control anything else. And even moving into that protective space, well, I'm going to shut my heart down or I'm just going to not connect to people. That's ego too. It's all ego. The only place of not ego is sitting in a place of observation of what's happening around me. I'm noticing that I want to get pulled into it, the energy, someone else's stuff, but I'm going to come back to my heart, come back to the energy of my essence of who I am. And that's, that's a practice in relationships with your kids, with your work colleagues, with your partners, with anyone, with strangers. Yep. And so working on these energetic boundaries is so important in relationship to this. So this is where I feel the human practical mind can really become our source and tool of integration because because of the reality that we live in, because we are human beings, you know, some of these things do require practice. (laughs) Oh, they require all the things. Yeah. <laughs> all the things. Um, when I started working with Ashley in her in her classes to hone in on my intuition, you know, to not let it be this thing that was just kind of out there and then I really didn't know how to harness or, or, or direct. It was all practice. And I thought and, and to my Capricorn mind, oh my God, are you kidding me? I get to like 
intellectually make sense out of this thing that I can't see and touch. I get to practice it. I get to master it in true Capricorn nature. That was just, this makes so much sense. And that is what I meant when I said that is a beautiful dance between spirit and human spirit Mm -hmm. and ego spirit and the cognitive mind. So that brings us to our first point of the five, a daily spiritual practice. And that can look like a lot of different things. And in essence, with a daily spiritual practice, one of the questions that comes up is what do I need to integrate and what do I need to release? Mm -hmm. Or what do I need to release in order to integrate this new part of myself? Because that's another thing that has come to, to my realization that we are in constant regenerative mode. We are in constant releasing in order to let in. It's beautiful to create, it's beautiful to perceive things, but I feel that a huge part of the process of being able to be in the space of spirituality, understanding that requires much more release. So moving into the heart space intentionally, instead of just kind of floating away without knowing why. I'm curious to see what that brings up for you. This is another topic that's come up a lot in my mind. So as you probably notice, I'm always asking questions about spirituality, trying to understand more and trying to understand it from a more intuitive space. And what came upon me recently is that I think we have the idea of spiritual practice is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think it's been very thought of as rigid, boring, hard. Um, we're very resistant to it. I mean, some people love to bliss out in meditations. They love to sit on their pillow for 45 minutes and do that. And for those people, I am in such an admiration. One of my favorite teachers, he goes on silent retreats and is in the meditative spate for days on end, sometimes weeks on end. So for some people, the idea of sitting in silence works really well. But what about everyone else? I remember feeling until I could do that, I wouldn't be a true spiritual person. I wouldn't have a relationship to spirituality. And that's just not true. What I have found for me is a spiritual practice is something I really look forward to. And meditation wasn't something I look forward to. And when I'm talking about that form of meditation is that sitting for long periods of time. I found that I was meditating through swimming or through walking or through journaling or surfing. These were forms of meditation. And when I started to embrace them and realize how much like still meditation, I was watching my thoughts. I was noticing where I was, where's my mood, where's my ego, where's my heart. Mm -hmm. All of those practices that I loved reflected back to me the state of where I was. And that was changing constantly, just like meditation reflects back to you. Today's a good day. I'm really still, my mind's not all over the place. And oh, today's a really bad day, just the anxious thoughts. But this idea of what if we could look forward to these practices? And then someone, another medium the other day said, she thinks of it as things her child self would have loved to do. And that was eye-opening for me because I realized that all the things that I love are things my child self wanted to do or did, which is nature. I wanted to be near the ocean. I wanted to hang out with horses, love animals. And that's all the things I do for my spiritual practice other than journaling and writing and things like that. Yeah. So I thought that was fascinating. It is fascinating. I have been one of those that has gone through the period of meditating on my meditation pillow or just standing in front of my altar for 30, 45 minutes, an hour. And it was truly blissful. And you go into the space where there is no time and space, right? Mm -hmm. But what I noticed was that 
over time. And I was able to do that for about a year. And then something clicked within me where that wasn't happening anymore. I noticed it wasn't the same connection. I noticed I wasn't able to get up as early in the morning because I was naturally waking up at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And I was looking forward to that. It was like, it was like Christmas every morning to do that. And then it changed. Mm. And then when it changed, because of my idea of it, I thought, oh my God, I'm losing my connection to spirit. (laughs) What is happening? I'm not, I'm not doing the thing. I'm not doing it right. And not too long after that started happening, I happened to have coffee with the fellow astrologer friend of mine. And she said something that just kind of gave me permission, I feel, for it to not be that. And she said, you know, your spiritual practices sometimes change and they look different according to where you are in life. So simple, so simple, (laughs) Right? right? And I thought, of course, I'm allowed to change the way I do things. I'm allowed to change the way of connection. As soon as that happened, I stepped into just different ways. I started to have moments of stillness in the shower. I started to just have much more moments of presence while I was doing the dishes. And right now, my moment with spirit and just not necessarily stillness, but of presence is when I walk my dog Jack at the park and I walk barefoot on the grass and ground. Mm. That is what it has become. And you're right, because now my meditation practice to come back to myself, where is my heart, the scanning of my body, the release of whatever feels heavy at the time. I sometimes cry when I'm walking Jack because that's what needs to be released. I feel the presence of spirit in my heart. And, you know, and I'm saying this and I'm like, oh my God, I, I don't know how this is sounding, you know, that egoic part of me, that judgmental part of me, but I feel the presence of spirit in the trees. And when I observe mm-hmm. Jack just taking his time to smell every single bush in the park, I'm like, that's it. This is it. And I feel an immense gratitude in that time. And that is my moment. That is my sacred moment. That is my sacred space. My inner child is happy because I'm hanging out with my dog and I get to play with him. That's it now. Yes. And it, it's not necessarily, I definitely put it in my calendar. So there's a bit of structure, but that's just me. But other than that, I allowed it to change. And now it looks so different. I, I think that's a perfect example of how it doesn't have to be rigid. It doesn't have to be rigid at all. In fact, I wouldn't want it to be rigid for anyone. For me, the intention of doing something that's part of my spiritual practice means I am moving out of my thoughts, my fear, my mind, and I am moving into the space of my heart, which Mm -hmm. at first isn't easy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easier than others. And even some days it's easier than others. But that's why it's a practice is what does that even feel like? And most people, and I was like this until I figured this out, all we know is our mind and our reaction to our mind. So when we do something where we can feel our heart open, I remember at the end of a yoga class years ago, just in Savasana, my heart just opened and I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, that's what it's like to be embodied. That's what it's like to feel gratitude. It was mind blowing. And I'm at the point where if I can't feel into my heart at least once a day, and if I don't even cry, which cry to me is a release or the feeling of gratitude or joy, I feel gypped. I feel like, (laughs) ooh, 
I didn't get there, you know? It's like I crave, people look at me like I'm crazy when I, I crave that kind of moment where my heart squeezes open and tears spring from my eyes because that means I know I'm in my body. Mm-hmm. That means I know I'm here. I'm moving through my intuitive space. My soul is talking to me. I'm not in the clouds of my head. You know, I've been sick over the past month in just in different ways when I was traveling and not traveling, and I couldn't access that feeling. It was very frustrating for me. But I also realized when we're sick and just something to think about when we're sick, it's really hard for us to be in our bodies because we're suffering. If you go through a period where you're sick and you feel disconnected, hold yourself with compassion because it's hard to come back to that space when you haven't been comfortable in the space. Yes. Yeah. So just to get back to the point of the, today's conversation is how does a daily spiritual practice How is that a way of taking responsibility for our energy field? And for me, I think that having a daily spiritual practice just allows me to remember what it's like to be in my heart, to understand the difference of being in my heart and not. Mm -hmm. Over time, it becomes so much easier, a much quicker recognition of, oh, I'm not within me right now. I'm all in my head. Mm -hmm. I'm outside of me. I'm giving my power away. So as what I was talking about earlier, the development of tougher skin is actually coming into your heart and understanding that that's, that's the space to be in. And, and to be in that space is, is what allows for a different perception to come from within us. And that's how we protect, that's how we take responsibility for our energy field. That when someone or something outside of us happens and it triggers us in a way, okay, let's say that we're triggered, but we know now what it feels like to come back into our heart and say, you know what, even if I felt momentarily triggered, it's not going to take over my day. It's not, this is not going to linger for days on end. It's not going to take over because I can understand what it feels like to come back to my heart because I have a daily spiritual practice that reminds me of that. That's what it has done for me. When you were talking about what you need to release or integrate, that's what that is. We have unprocessed moments that collect throughout our days. And so in that morning, I usually try to do it in the morning. I can reflect on what was I not able to feel yesterday or earlier today that I need to really reflect on and feel. What energy is clogging my body so I can't feel my heart? And sometimes that's sadness. Sometimes it's grief. Sometimes it's anger, but it's acknowledging that human process of completing a situation and letting it go so I can open my heart and be clear. Or if someone said something really beautiful to me that I really didn't have time to receive, and I want to bring that into my heart and integrate that. I want to allow myself to receive that. So it's really noticing what has landed in me and what do I need to take care of? Whose energy was I in that I need to let go of? Mm-hmm. And so you, you're consciously, it's almost like pulling out threads. Oh, that interaction at the grocery store, I need to let that go. That hurt my feelings and I'm ready to let it go. Or that beautiful thing someone said, I just want to make space for that in my heart. So it's, it's caretaking your heart and caretaking your energy. So you don't have all this unprocessed stuff clinging to you. Yes. Yes. I love that you brought up the, the point of also processing, integrating and making space for the beautiful things that we bypass through the rushing of life. That's just as important. Mm. That's how our nervous system gets regulated to say, oh, I get to have nice moments. I get to receive compliments from people 
I get to receive loving words. I get to receive love. That's something that I think a spiritual practice really does too, is that it regulates the nervous system to be present with what is, including the beautiful things in life. So well said. Yeah. You know, Uh, it's just when we do that, when we say, at least this is what works for me when I've gone on my walks, I speak to my nervous system and it gets to be easy. Not because I'm not going to do anything in life, but because it just even everything that I have to do gets to be easeful, gets to be joyful. Life, it's okay for life to be joyful. And it's exactly what you said, that we carry a lot of unprocessed things over time and we don't realize. And so that is a part of us that just keeps coming with us to the present moment. And so this is how we create certain narratives and certain belief systems I like to remind my clients, especially you have to speak to yourself. You have to speak to your nervous system as if you are speaking to a child Mm -hmm. that doesn't really know what's happening around them. And you're the nurturing, unconditional, loving adult that tells them it's okay. It's okay. And that is a practice. (laughs) Yeah. And and this is how you prevent empath overload, Mm -hmm. this practice. Absolutely. So that takes us to point number two, which is minding our environments. We can't always control, in a sense, our environments, especially, for instance, if we have to go into a job and into an office and, you know, we're surrounded by people, all different types of energies. So I remember that what I used to do especially when I started becoming aware again of my sensitivity of my being absorbent of all of the energy around me is crystals worked a lot for me. They really, really did. I remember that there was no way that I could burn sage or Pago Santo, but I would spray sage. They, they have liquid sage and I would spray that around my, my cubicle. I would play binaural beats that were meant for space cleansing. I would make sure that I would breathe mindfully and intentionally take a few, you know, intentional breaths throughout the day to help cleanse myself within, to help calibrate my nervous system to come back to center. So that was when I was in that environment. Now I try to be mindful that my workspace is as organized as possible, that my home is as organized and as clean as possible. So these are things that I have found. And and I know that there's literature out there about all of this. I notice the difference. I notice the difference when the stuff around me is a mess. I can feel it. My partner can feel it. And sometimes we get too busy and we're like, no, no, no. We need to make space to really clean the apartment and then sage it and throw things out if we need to, because all of that matters. Yeah. If you have a chaotic mind, if your mind's bouncing around with anxious thoughts and worries and fears, and you look outside into the space around you and it's chaotic, that just sends your nervous system the message. There's no space for me. There's no space to breathe. There's no space that's safe. There's no space that's calm. Mm. And I've really come to understand, like, I love plants. So my house is full of plants. I surround myself with those. Paying attention to how light affects you. Mm. If I go into Lowe's and those, elect, uh, what are they even called? Fluorescent lights? I'm gone. Yeah. I am floating. And, and it's probably also the energy of Lowe's. But also that lighting, I can't seem to... My husband's like, where are you? I'm like lost in aisle 35. I don't even know where I am because I'm just disassociate immediately. 
So grounding things around you, pretty things, they don't have to be expensive things, but I'm also someone who needs clear spaces, everything. I can't have a bunch of things hanging on the walls and everywhere because I don't know how to organize that. But being mindful that your space can help calm your mind. It can help soothe your nervous system. Be mindful of where you spend your time. If you're overloaded, probably not a good idea to go out to a bar and hang out for happy hour because it's loud. People are drinking and no problem with drinking, but people are slipping into a space that's not boundaried or out of control. So if I'm really triggered and disassociated or not grounded, I'm not going to go to a bar. I'm probably going to stay home being quiet and mind my nervous system till I feel like that's a space I could be in. Being around certain people, you know, am I going to hang out at this birthday party or this pool party or hang out with this group of friends? If I'm feeling a certain way, if I'm overloaded, there's very few people, very specific people that I want to spend time with because I can say things like I'm overloaded and they can honor that or just people that are respectful of your energy and their energy, mindful people. So what we're just talking about is watching what in your environment are you exposing yourself to, where you're spending time and how, even if you're in a work environment or in a place where there's a ton of people, how can you honor your own nervous system in your space? And crystals, like you said, crystals are great for the environment, but also crystals I want to offer. Sometimes I'll lay down and put several crystals on my body and I'll just set the intention for them to align my energy. And after like 10, 15 minutes, I feel so much different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think moving the body is also significant, Um, especially again, for those who, I mean, for anyone at any time during the day. Going for a walk is everything. (laughs) I'm so grateful for my dog, Jack, because I'm such a homebody. I am such a homebody. I don't know. Pandemic wasn't that awful for me. (laughs) No, me either. I'm such a homebody. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I realized, okay, this isn't completely healthy. I need to get out for walks. And when I worked in an office during my lunch hour, sometimes I wouldn't really, or I would eat something light and quick. And my objective during my lunch hour was to go for a walk. It helped release a lot. It helped just move things within me. And I realized also that kind of became somewhat of a spiritual practice because there was a shift in environment. Even if momentarily there was a shift from being completely endorsed to saying, no, I'm going to set the intention to not go sit down somewhere else enclosed during this time. And I'm going to go and walk and just walk. And that made a world of a difference. I think it's important to also pay attention to if you've been going somewhere consistently, and then you find yourself just saying, why don't I want to go there anymore? It's sometimes it's like a light switch, right? I had been going to the same gym for three years, almost every day with pauses in between, but that was the gym that I went to. And then something happened where I just stopped going and I love moving, working out. I love exercising, but I just stopped going. And I remember trying to get myself to go and a few times I did. And I thought, this doesn't feel the same. I can't fully explain why nothing really has changed. So what does this mean? I think that sometimes when that happens and we don't have a rational explanation for it, we force ourselves into spaces that our soul, our body's clearly telling us that it doesn't want to be in. My very humble suggestion is to please listen to that. Listen to it. Give 
give your soul and body time to give you that reason that you're looking for, for not wanting to be there, but pay attention to that. If there is a natural resistance to an environment, if there's a natural repelling energy coming from your body, listen to that. Even if rationally, cognitively, it doesn't make full sense. Believe me, at some point it will. But that matters so, so much. There can't be enough said about that. And there's such a difference between the mind's truth and the body's truth. Mm-hmm. Like I know this is the title of a book, but the body never lies. It never lies. The mind will tell you all sorts of lies. And when you were talking about moving energy, I think when we're thinking thoughts, they create energy. And a lot of times we have this buildup in our head of all this energy, maybe have tension and headaches. And the last thing we feel like doing is going for a walk. But moving that energy through exercise or walking spreads it out and grounds it. And also, I know a lot of people who have severe anxiety or depression that start to isolate themselves in the house. And when I was going through a really difficult time, what I would find if I could just get myself out the front door, it was like the lights went on, the change in environment, the change in perspective. I had to focus on other things. I was living in New York City, so I had to focus on the people and the chaos and whatever. And even though chaos may not sound good for someone who's feeling that way, I needed that shift of environment to jolt me awake. To go, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I'm not drowning anymore in my own mind. Yes, I think that making that effort to step outside and as soon as the sunlight hits you, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And even when it's cold, even when it's cold, it's like that chill wakes you up. It's like, okay, I need to move. There's something really beautiful about movement. So this takes us to point number three. This is really interesting because I didn't, For a long time, I didn't realize we could do this. So turning it on and off. If you wouldn't mind talking about that, because I learned this from you. And I think that you are so clear and so good at explaining this. What does it mean to turn it on and off? Mm -hmm. Until I became a medium and my teacher said, you have to learn to turn this intuition and, and touching into the spirit world. I didn't understand it. I was like, you mean you have a choice? And she was like, So when you step into the space of working as a medium or an intuitive, you can turn it on. You don't need all this fancy meditation stuff. You can connect in very easily. But when you're done, you need to be able to turn that off. And you're not still open. You're not inviting the spirit world through. You're not connecting to other people's souls and reading them. And in that practice, I realized, oh, yeah, I can sit in my chair, do the thing, and then I can go back to my life. Now, the tricky part is that sometimes we want to have it on if we feel like we're in an environment where we kind of need to read the energy or kind of see what to expect maybe from the group of people we've never met. I don't mean jumping into their energetic bodies and reading them and trying to figure out everything that's going on. I mean, just kind of taking the temperature of the room. You know, when I meet a new person, I've talked about this before, where I feel like I'll get intuitive information that kind of tells me, is this someone... I feel safe with, or is this someone I want to explore a connection with, or is there something telling me that this may be something I want to pull back from? And I listen to that, but I'm not sitting there absorbing their energy, all that kind of thing. When we, we have this idea that when we're touching in and taking the temperature of the room or interacting with someone who has a lot of negative energy, a lot of that kind of thing, we're not sponges. We want to be very clear. We're not here to sponge up the world or other people's energy. Imagine if you're trying to sense into something intentionally you're like an x-ray or like an MRI or a CAT scan. Information's coming through you, but it's passing out right Mm -hmm. through the back of you or through, you're not here to hold on to it. You're just kind of, 
you're gathering information to serve you as to how you want to navigate the situation. But being intentional, when I go to the grocery store, I don't want to do this. I don't, mm-hmm. I just, the grocery store, I just want to shop. I don't know what the cashier's feeling. I don't even want to feel into that. Like, and I'm serious. People, I think we talked about this once. People are like, oh, you know, they're giving readings to the grocery store clerk. I think that's totally inappropriate. Yes. But also, I have a family. I don't want to know all the things my son is thinking and feeling and energetically up to. I don't want to know. I don't want to get into my husband's business. I don't want to get into my kid's business. I don't want to get into my friend's business. That's just too much. That's intrusive. I want to interact with them based on what they're bringing to me. So it's this level of, okay, I'm intentionally doing this to sense into my environment and how I want to navigate. I'm working and I'm using my intuition to navigate this client or the situation or offer a reading. I'm working with myself intuitively to check in with my soul and my spiritual practice and see what wisdom it has for me. But I don't want to walk through the world and just gather everything. I have no desire to do that. And also, we're not supposed to be martyrs. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this idea that we can kind of be a victim to our empathic nature. And what if it was a tool that we used mindfully rather Mm -hmm. than something that we just had to give into and we couldn't help? Is Is that helpful? Oh, my God. Yes. You know, what's coming up for me as you're saying all of this, of course, I'm, I'm thinking from an astrological lens and your chart comes to mind. So we call this episode five ways to take responsibility for your energy field. Everything we're talking about right now is very Saturnian in nature. So Saturn in the Zodiac is the planet that gives us with the power of responsibility. And everything we're talking about here is about cultivating that responsibility, practicing that responsibility. It brings it back on us to be aware and mindful. One of the attributes of Saturn and Capricorn energy, because Saturn rules Capricorn, is the gift of minding your own business. (laughs) And (laughs) I cannot remember what book I read this in, but I do remember that my very first astrology teacher that is what he talked about. Saturn and Capricorn are the energies that teach the rest of the Zodiac to mind their own business. And when we look at it from this perspective, from you know being responsible for our energy field, it takes some of that. You know, turning this on and off essentially becomes about spiritually, energetically minding your own energy, minding your own business in that space. Because one thing that I love that you said is we cannot be intrusive in other people's energy. I find that to be so, yeah, intrusive and disrespectful. And I think that there is this, I don't know. And this has happened to me where it's like somebody comes up to me and says, I'm getting a message that I feel I need to deliver from you or to you. I'm I'm, I'm receiving this message. And it's like, I'm sorry, but no, I don't want that. And, you know, people keep pushing, whether that's the truth or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's a certain amount of respect that we have to have. If we have it for ourselves, if we have it for our energetic field, then we also have to have it for others. And so that includes the turning on and off, because let's say that you are going around, you know, saying, I have a message for you. What makes you think that the person on the receiving end not even has the desire to receive it. It's not even that. What makes you think that they are prepared or ready 
to receive whatever it is that you feel you should give them. And don't even say the spirits told me to because I don't buy it. No. That's ego. And I just want to clarify when people say, oh, they're pushing through, they're pushing their way through and I have to deliver this message. In my experience, no. I know. And if they're pushing through to you, that says something else. And that's more about your ego and your need for them to push through. Or if they're really pushing through, I don't know. I don't buy that. No, because especially this is where my, where my Saturn really kicks in, especially if you do this kind of work, you know, if you're along the lines of this type of work that Ashley and I do, you have to remember that anyone who's going to come to you and work with you is already meant to do that. Your soul has already created a connection before you realize that this is what you were going to do for a living. Trust that. Trust that. So, and don't get me wrong. If you have like an online community, for instance, that's your online community. They have chosen to follow your work and listen to what you have to say. So absolutely share openly. That's that safe space there. But it's interesting because outside of that, I don't really talk about much about what I do personally. This is interesting. When Carlos's grandmother was with us, she used to say all the time, Carlos is my partner. She used to say all the time, you know what, mijo? I, you know, Millie never really talks about what she does. And for me, it's, first of all, I understand the taboo that comes with it, the thought that comes with that. So it's more about, I don't need to be telling everybody this is what I do. Come get a reading. This is what I do. Come do this. I have a message for you. I can give you this message. No, because not everyone is ready to receive that from you. That's when I learned to, in essence, turn this off. When people come to find out what I do, that's great. That's great. That means they were meant to come to me. Other than that, I don't, I don't need to be crossing that line. I don't need to be trying to convince anyone of anything. And I think that shows respect for the work that I do, but also for other people's boundaries. The boundaries with work is so important Mm -hmm. and knowing that fine line and really being respectful of other people and not offering them message or getting into their business. And I also wanted to speak out to this when we are really used to that empathic nature within us, and it's been a survival mechanism for most of our life. I want to speak to the fact that it can still trip us up in our homes. My husband and I have a joke that if he's in a bad mood and he'll go, come give me a hug. Cause in times past I've given him a hug. And then five minutes later, I'm in a terrible mood and he'll be like, thanks (laughs) because there's this joke that I can so easily just take it from him. And I don't even intentionally do it. It's just this natural nature. And in my family, I've watched if we're not careful, we can pass that around because we are very sensitive and we can soak it up. So it's really important you know, now I say to him, I'm going to give you a hug, but you keep that to yourself. And so we really work on just, I have to remember that although that sensitivity can sometimes take things on, I don't want to take it on. And I need to be clear with myself that I can hug this person, but it's not my job to make them feel better. Mm -hmm. I had a woman that she was going to a funeral and she said, I knew it was a funeral. I did not want to feel all the feelings. I wasn't related to this person. I didn't know this person. So She went in there with the intention of keeping it off, but then she saw this person suffering who was just really having a hard time. And the next day she felt it in her heart. And whether she meant to have it on or off, I think what happened in that moment is she just really stepped into a place of compassion. And it's part of what we were talking about in the beginning of our humanity. 
and she was carrying it with her. So I just suggested grieve for that person. And that's what I do for my clients at the end of the week. I'll grieve what needs to be grieved, things that I witnessed Mm. for them, joys that I want to celebrate with them. But I just allow myself to feel the feelings because, again, Mm -hmm. those are unprocessed moments that I've been involved in. And then I can let them go. Mm -hmm. And again, that is in Saturnian terms, you're making time and space. You're making time and space for that to be that in that moment. And then it doesn't need to come with you any further. And we can do that. We can do that. Again, this comes with practice. This comes with intentional practice. I think we feel like we get swept away by our thoughts and we get swept away by the feelings and all of the things. Yeah, we can if we're not intentional about not getting to that space. It takes a lot of intention. So to continue on, the intention of being mindful of what we are consuming, what we are consuming in every single way, conversations, information, what we read. I find now that I have to be very mindful of the things that I watch on social media, that I read on social media. Something has happened where I don't, I just don't want to see that. I don't care. I don't want to be involved with that. I don't, I don't know. I don't care about Johnny Depp and whoever he's in trial with. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care. You know, it's the drama that's draining and that's just not, that's not my jam anymore. It's, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't resonate. No, (laughs) I totally get it. I mean, like I said, I've, I've, getting over COVID and everything. And all I can watch is the great British baking show. I just love it. It's because it's just, I said to Lair, I was like, it's formulaic. There's recipes. They're creating beautiful things. They're kind to each other. It's a very gentle, loving space. And I will just, you know, when I've had to like rest and I can't do much or couldn't do much, I'm doing better. I would just watch it. I used to spend a lot more time in front of the TV and stuff, just kind of consuming I'm just noticed that it's not good for my mental health. I have to be really mindful what I take in. And as I've worked more, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there is so dramatic. And, you know, if you're a therapist or a coach or working with people, there's enough drama in, you know, your work day that who needs to watch that? <laughs> but also the energy of food. Yeah. Who's making your food, where it's grown, books, anything that you're taking into your body in any way. It's so important to be mindful of the energy around it. And if you're intentionally choosing it, great. But I think we're just so used to just consuming, 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 and not paying attention to how this makes us feel. And everything that we see, every thought we think creates energy or a feeling in our body. Yeah, I can tell. I definitely noticed the difference in my health and my energy and how things flow when I went from eating meat to going plant-based. And this isn't to say that everyone should go plant-based and that's not what I'm here to tell you. You do what you want. But I know that to your point, the consumption of food, what we put in in our bodies, huge difference, massive, massive difference. Mm -hmm. Finally, finally, I think this is one of the most important ways that this is one of, I, I feel like this is one of the trickiest ones, if anything minding the people that we let in our space, minding the people that we let in our space. And even when we have people in our space or like, even like our loved ones, even our partners who we live with, 
we have to mind the energy that we absorb from them. And I know from, you know, being massively codependent, I know that I have to be very intentional when my partner is just having a day or he's tired or something has upset him or he's processing something. I have to be very mindful, intentional. I have to tell myself, he's let him have his moment, let him have his process and you are allowed to have yours too. I have to tell you, that has been one of the most challenging parts of being in a relationship because for so long, I was, I felt responsible for making someone else feel better for making sure, oh my God, you're sad. (gasps) What do I need to do? I'll be very honest to this, to this day. I want to jump on that so quickly when, when Carlos is, is off or is tired or is upset, like, (laughs) what do you need? And I have to observe that's what's coming up. That is what my nervous system wants to do right now. I have to observe that part of me come up and say, no, this is his space. This is his moment. This is what he's processing. I need to give him and myself the space. And when he's better, he'll come and talk to me. That is something I still have to work on. And it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. And are you allowed to be happy if he's not? Right. I see often couples do this thing where sometimes they're not both allowed to be happy or they take turns constantly. It's just interesting, but it's, it goes back to that codependency, you know, am I allowed to be okay and be happy if my partner's unhappy? And it does take a lot of mindfulness. It takes a lot of practice. You know, the last time my husband went through something, I remember just saying to myself over and over again, I'm trusting on who he is and what I know of him and that he's going to find his way through this. It may not be in my time. It may not be in the way I would like, but that's not my business. He needs to be in this place and he needs to learn whatever he needs to learn to get from the other side of it. And what I know is that if we interfere with that lesson or fix those feelings or get involved in some way, then we really interrupt their opportunity to evolve and heal. And so minding your business around other people's feelings and space is so important. Also, it reminds me of, I love this Buddhist teacher, Stephen Levine. He writes, I can have you in my heart, but I can't have you in my house. (laughs) And I think there are people we can have compassion for and that we can love but we cannot spend time with them. We cannot live with them. We may have to end our relationship with them because being around them is just too much for us. You and I recently had the conversation of the paradox that it is to, particularly when it comes to the mother-daughter relationship, the paradox that it is to be you know, tied to them and know that we need to create some strong boundaries. Otherwise, we cannot grow. This is massive responsibility. This is the responsibility that we owe ourselves for our well-being, for the development of consciousness, for the development of spirituality. Again, I'll speak from my own experience. Those, Those out there who have listened to my work for some time, I've been rather open about my relationship with with my mother. And really, it hasn't been until recently that I really started practicing some substantial boundaries. And the difference that I've seen in my life, in my healing, in my nervous system has been life-changing. Obviously, there's been some work along the way, intentional work with coaches and therapists and all of that. But the very thing that I was 
avoiding for a long time, which was creating substantial boundaries in that relationship. When I finally did it, it was what I knew I needed to do. It was the thing that I realized I always knew that this is what I needed to do all along. There's this perception of if I create some kind of separation in a way, then am I a bad daughter? Is my mom going to love me? Uh, what are people going to say? And at the end of the day, it, it, it's what matters is that you live your life in, in peace. Because then from that space, I learned to see my mom through a different lens. I was able to have the room to breathe to say, okay, I can understand her better and I can still love her. And I understand how absolutely necessary these boundaries are. It's so important. So personal. And I think we get caught up in having this idea of how we should be with family. And from my experience, I have no relationship with my family. I haven't spoken to my mom in over 20 years. My brother and my dad, I'm not in relationship to them. And it's not a popular decision by, I think, a lot of people around me back in the day. I'm surrounded by people who support it now, but being around them made me want to die. And I tried. You know, I tried to do the healing. I tried to invite them in. I tried to become everything and wish that they could become something different, but it just didn't work. And when I walked right. away, I found myself. And some people might say, well, if you've done enough work or if you were stronger, you could be in relationship with them. And I just disagree. I don't think we're necessarily meant to stay connected to the people that brought us into this world. Again, it's no. a personal choice. Sometimes they're just the people that brought us into this world. And the best, most healing thing we can do is to separate and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to allow you to abuse me, and I'm not going to be a victim of your abuse. And that's empowering. Making those choices can set us free. And again, there's no right way to do this. It's just what's right for you. And like Millie, I can look in my family. I can understand who they are. I can have a lot of compassion for them. I don't want to be anywhere in a relationship with them but it's easier for me to have compassion from a distance and I wish them well, but we're just not meant to be yes. in relationship. And that has to be okay for us to decide what's best for us. Yes. Look, and I think that another thing that you have to take into account is that it's still a relationship where another party is involved. So if you are someone who is on an inner journey, being intentional with becoming a much more aware, much more compassionate person, if you're doing the work, right? But you are relating to someone who isn't or has no desire, that relationship is never going to work in the way you envision. And that includes parents. <laughs> that took me a long time to realize I had taken on the role of exactly what you said. If I heal enough, if I work hard enough, if I do all the things and then my relationship with my mother is just going to transform. It's like, wait a minute, why am I the only one <laughs> attempting to do anything here? So that is when you have to create that healthy boundary, that healthy separation of this is what I'm doing. It doesn't mean that you have to, unless you genuinely want to, but I'm also not going to be here trying to convince you to change in a way that you just don't feel you have to. And that's okay too, because that's your journey. That's what you're on. And it's the acceptance. Uh, to me, that was my moment of radical acceptance in this moment in my life. I had to accept this is where I'm at. I choose my peace. I choose my life. I choose 
to live a, a simple life. And by that, I mean, not have my, my life be consecutive moments of chaos somehow, but she chooses to, to do that differently. And I don't need to know about it. And that's okay. That was my moment of radical acceptance. And I think of radical love for her and for myself. When it's posed in that way, it doesn't look very pretty because we tend to think in terms of all or nothing. You either do have a relationship or you don't have a relationship. You either do love them and put up with all this stuff or you don't. And no, no, doesn't have to be that. I know what works for me. Apparently, how her life is going works for her. That's great. But not here, not in this space. And if you're in a living situation or surrounded by people that are disrespecting your boundaries energetically, physically, if you're noticing it's draining, it's really important to rethink this. It's really important Mm -hmm. to consider why you're choosing to spend time with people that drain you or that make you, that just don't feel good, that don't lift you up. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you have friends that might make you feel worse when you've spent time with them or be in relationships that aren't supportive and loving and safe? It's so important to assess we're allowing in and why. Because there's rules, because that's what they expect, you know, but what's of our highest good? What supports our well-being the most is really, it's so important to ask these questions. I think one of the clear indicators um, that I think is very easy and very natural to, to come to, to, to kind of gauge whether you feel safe with someone or not, is if when something good happens to you and you want to tell someone and you think about that best friend, or you think about that, you know, whoever that person. And for some reason, you're just like, I, I don't think that I can. I don't think that I want to tell them my good news. That has happened to me. And it was, it was a moment of radical acceptance. I do not feel safe telling this person who has been my friend for a long time, happy moments in my life, because I don't think that this person will feel happy for me. And while that is a bit heartbreaking, it's also, again, and it's okay. I think one of a conversation that you and I have had has also been our relationship with women. And as soon as I started doing that, as soon as I started paying attention to, again, the same way that I didn't want to go to that gym anymore because my body said no more, it's the same way that I stopped relating to certain friends in the same way. And therefore... I attracted different friendships where I now feel absolutely safe to tell them all of the wonderful things happening in my life and they receive it with as much love. This is what happens when we take responsibility for our energy field. We release and we leave so much more room for love to come in. So beautifully said. It's so true. The tricky part is not so tricky. It's personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. We're responsible for what we let in. We're responsible for the boundaries we create and how we take care of ourselves. Yes, we are. So we hope that you found this helpful. Remember, it doesn't have to look like anything that anything says. And and we hope these five ways resonate with you, that they're helpful in some way. But remember, it's about keeping it simple. What is your body telling you? What are the messages that come through when you're going to step into a space or when you're going to talk to someone? Pay attention to that. It doesn't always have to make logical sense. Our souls always know. I like to remind my clients, it takes some time for the human mind to catch up to what the soul has known all along. That helps me pay attention to my body and 
and I say to myself, okay, my body is repelling something right now. I can't make sense of it, but that's okay because I know that it takes the mind some time to catch up to what the soul knows. And my soul is speaking through my body. That has helped me so much. So I hope that that helps you too. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. And yeah, have an amazing, amazing two weeks. We will catch you on our next episode. Thank you all so much. Bye.